0: forward now and there we are okay very good and uh, we're into um john chapter 18 you ready for the word this morning in all the time that i have left 29 minutes how many of you believe i can preach in that time if it was Anita, it would be a different story but it's me this is me so let's smash it out let's see how we go we'll go as far as we go we're not going to rush but uh what we are going to do is we're going to get started so thank you lord for your word Speak to our hearts. Encourage us as we continue through the latter parts of the Gospel of John. Move our hearts and uh, teach us something fresh and new, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Who's heard this before? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Who's heard that before? Although Charles Dickens didn't begin a tale of two cities by necessarily describing Jesus' death, it's kind of what it was like. The best of times and the worst of times when Jesus gave his life and died on the cross. It was the dark night of the soul for Jesus and his disciples. The moment is coming where Jesus is going to be taken into captivity. So emotions are raging now. All sides, Jesus, his disciples. The, the religious leaders and like things are getting to a peak. If you were calling this like a, a drama or a movie, we're reaching the crescendo of the peak of the, the moment of this story. And, and so emotions are raging. Jesus gets falsely arrested in just a moment. And he's tried in a mock court before the religious leaders and Pilate and the Roman uh, governor. So even though it appeared on the, surface, on the surface that Jesus's fate was in their hands, God was in control the whole time. And you'd be misled if you didn't believe that. Jesus wasn't at the whim of these people. This was the plan of God from the beginning. And so Jesus never lost control of what was happening. So from the moment the temple priests arrived to arrest him in the garden through a number of trials and and then Peter's denial, we know about that, three times the rooster crows, to the people's insistence that Jesus was not the prisoner that they wanted released, instead release Barabbas when that happened. God's plan for the salvation of the world was unfolding throughout all of this. Jesus could have prevented all these events or escaped at any moment because he's the son of God and he's got the ability But he voluntarily chose to go to the cross to die for our sins. And I'm so glad, aren't you? And we've talked to that already today. But let's get going into verse 1 of John chapter 18. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples (laughs) entered. Now, John doesn't (coughs) refer to it as the Garden of Gethsemane. (laughs) Other gospels do. So so Jesus had spent time talking with the Father about himself, his disciples, and his future followers. He's gone through all that prayer in John chapter 17 that we went through. The time for prayer with the disciples was now over. Uh, The time for death was even nearer for Christ. And Jesus knew it because he's God and he knows what's coming. He prepared himself and his disciples as much as he could. So he taught them, spent all this time with them, displayed what living like Christ was like. He healed people. He showed grace and mercy to people. So he's prepared himself and his disciples. They walked across the Kidron Valley and a ravine north of Jerusalem to a familiar olive grove. The other gospel writers refer to it as Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. And they refer to the fact that Jesus would often take them there to get away from the noise and just have a quiet place to pray. John actually didn't record all the events of that evening. That's why it's good to read all the other Gospels too because it's little snippets of that, that one person decided was important to put in there that others didn't. Uh, between this verse and the next one that I'm about to read, Jesus told Peter again he would deny him three times. Uh, and then he prayed privately during uh, which he wrestled with God over the enormity of the suffering before him. You know, God, if, if this is your will, then so be it. But take this cup from me if you can. But nevertheless, your will be done. And then he prayed uh, as he was praying privately, wrestling with God. Uh, he's, he's talking to the Father about what he's about to go through, and that is the crucifixion. Uh, so th- there's strong imagery in this scene. If you're into, who's into art and, and imagery and like you look at something and you see things that other people don't see? Mm. So, so there's strong poetic imagery in the physical surroundings of moving towards the garden of Gethsemane. Let me explain it to you. A drain ran from the temple altar down to the Kidron Ravine to take away the blood of sacrifice Since it was Passover, that was the time and season they were in, more than, get this, 200,000 lambs. That's a lot of lambs. That's a lot of um, barbecue. Anyways, 200,000 lambs would be slain uh, over the next day. So when Jesus and his disciples crossed the Kidron, it was red with the blood of the lambs. Red with the blood of the lambs prepared for sacrifice. So, so you can imagine the scene, imagine the stench, but the scene, like it would be all just this blood flowing like a stream. See, within a few hours, the blood of the Lamb of God was about to flow. So there's your poetic imagery there if you're into that sort of thing. It just stood out to me when I read that. I thought, oh, that's really, what, what a picture that creates of them proceeding to the garden knowing and Jesus knowing that this is where he was going. It just would have, I don't know, maybe triggered something or, yeah. So from the beginning, um, uh, Jesus' arrest and trial resembled mayhem more than justice. It was pretty crazy what's about to unfold. So they're walking to the grove, and we'll go to verse 2 and 3. It says this, Judas and Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus, often met there with his disciples. We talked about that already. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, And weapons. So what's unfolding here is a secret arrest for a very public Messiah. So so the the scene is mayhem, to be honest. Uh, And and it was no accident. Jesus had been highly visible for three years. Everyone who was anyone pretty much probably knew the name of Jesus and oh that's that guy that did miracles. Uh, So he's been highly visible for three years, teaching, working miracles in public. And if the temple priests and guards wanted to arrest him, they could have done it openly at any time. But remember, they tried a few times, didn't they? But his time had not yet come. There was more for him to do. So where do they decide to do it? They end up doing it in a private garden. And who turns him in? One of his very own, Judas. And it, it doesn't make sense we know the story from the end, so we, we get it, because he's betrayed Christ. But this is one of the 12 that was with Christ for so long, learned from him, taught from him, observed him. But he was the one that was chosen to betray him. And it's what God had predicted literally hundreds of years earlier. So that's why you know God's in control all through this account Hundreds of years before, things were prophesied that would unfold. Kind of like today, isn't it? Anyway, that's another sermon. We'll go there another time. So God had predicted these things years earlier. So, so we score one more for the reliability of God's word. Tick. God won humanity nil. So Jesus, uh, Judas knew where Jesus likely would be. And he and the disciples had spent a lot of time there praying, a lot of time there seeking God just to escape the crowds. And Judas led the soldiers and officials right to where Jesus was, and it's nighttime. So it's in the darkness of night that they do this. There's a band led by high priests and a mob of excitement. People just want to see what's about to unfold. Seekers, they had to search the dark garden to find them, and Judas led them to him. The knowledge that Judas had of special places where Jesus hung out was invaluable in this case. It's not like us where we've got floodlights everywhere and we've got to know exactly where to go. I'm sure the garden wasn't this little backyard grandma's garden. There would have been a lot of different nooks and crannies to the garden. But he knew exactly where Jesus would be. So commentators on this part of Scripture disagree on whether there were any Roman soldiers with them or not. You know how you see some videos and it's like the Roman troops are there. Um, Possibly like the chief priests had asked for aid from Pilate, maybe. It doesn't actually say, so we're inferring here. Uh, He had released a detachment from the barracks in Jerusalem to tag along for the rest. So other Bible scholars believe that uh, the translation of the word "troops" is actually a little bit unfortunate because the temple priests had no authority over or access to Roman soldiers. So it's not like a priest could go up to a Roman soldier and say, come with me, let's go arrest this guy because they risk their own life doing that, you know, <laughs> off with your head. Don't tell me what to do. Uh, but Roman soldiers would not have wanted to get involved in this internal affair anyway, really. Well, it's not, is it, was it their problem? Is it their business? This is a religious matter, so you guys, handle it. So these commentators believe that the troops that are referred to in the scripture were temple guards. So temple guards, Levites, who served as civil guards in the temple under the authority of the high priests. That's who, many believe, were with them that night. And they kept order in the temple area, and they were also used to um, arrest Jesus. So here's the point. We we could argue over that. I couldn't be bothered, could you? Uh, Whether there was Romans or not Romans. In either case, the power behind the arrest came from the Jewish leaders. That's where the power came from. But the real power came from Jesus in this circumstance. Even if hundreds of soldiers had turned up, Jesus could have escaped if he wanted to, but he didn't. He allowed the priests to find and arrest him because this was God's will. Jesus is very much in control. And as we continue to read, you're going to see examples of why. So John chapter 18, verses 4 to 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I love that. Can you imagine me now? I am he. (sighs) Power of God, right there. And they fall to the ground Uh, Jesus was never out of control he was always in control see in spite of the fact that he was one unarmed teacher against this whole batch of movers and shakers all coming to take him out Jesus still had power and authority as the son of God I love it to let them know who was in charge Jesus went out to meet them he didn't cower he stepped forward are you looking for he opened the conversation asking them what they're after and when they identified the man Jesus answered literally I am (laughs) it's the same statement he used a number of times in his teaching if you remember back to chapters gone by saying that I am it's God's name and it's a declaration that he is God and his using God's name affected the men who were there in an unusual way. We don't know for sure why they fell to the ground, but maybe it was the way Jesus took control. Maybe it was because the power of God was all over him. They were startled by Jesus' admission. Because as a soldier, okay, be a soldier for a minute. You know, you've got like weapons of mass destruction on you. You've got, <laughs> you want to take this person out. Do you think the person's going to come forward and admit that it's them? So they were startled. Uh, Maybe he used his power to give them a glimpse of who he is. No matter why, they knew Jesus was no ordinary man. And we know that too. (laughs) Jesus is no ordinary man. Even in this dark hour when he was yielding himself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he revealed his deity and they fell backwards. However you read into it, that's what happened. And he revealed to these men that he was absolutely in charge. You think you've come here with your swords and things and you're in control, but just remember, I am. (laughs) Uh, They didn't fall forward to worship him like we do, but they fell backward, most likely in fear and absolute disarray because they just did not know what was going on. All right. Verses seven to nine. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? Just want to clarify. Maybe he wanted to say, oh, "I am again," and make them go. Again, I don't know. That would be me. I would do that. I am. Pff. Get up, get up. I am. Pff. Anyway, that's me. So, who are you seeking? And they said, "Jesus of Nazareth." Jesus answered, "I have told you that I am He. Therefore, if you seek Me, let these go their way." In other words, the disciples and those that were with Him that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Mm. So he was fulfilling scripture by saying, I'm the one you want, let all these guys go. Mm. So Jesus repeated his question to make sure the temple guards understood that they came for him, not for the group. Mm. Remember, he's in control. Mm. Not the 11 disciples with him. Leave them alone, take me. He wanted to protect his men, asking that they be let go. And John saw this concern as a fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Just in case the guard didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was, Judas kissed him as a friend or a family member would. I think it's more a Sydney thing. We don't really come up to each other and here, do we? But down in New South Wales, I've got friends down there. And that's what they do. I don't know, it's just a... It's a French thing, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, kissed him. Hollywood thing. A Hollywood thing, is it? Okay, I don't know. Marion's watching, I know, and that's a, it's funny because Rhea came and visited us. I don't know if Rhea's watching as well. And, and <laughs> anyway, it's just, it didn't take me aback because it's a Sydney thing. Anyway, a kiss was a sign of devotion or affection, neither of which Judas meant at that moment. This was another detail that John felt to mention. So, uh, sorry, God John uh, failed to mention. So so Judas kissing Jesus isn't mentioned in the Gospel of John, but we know from other Gospels that's how he was identified. Mm -hmm. All right. One more time. Verses 10 to 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Malchus, malchus I'd say Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So warning, we have a wild sword bearer. <laughs> Those of you that have uh, watched The Chosen, <laughs> Simon hasn't become Peter yet, Simon Peter. But he's a bit wild, isn't he? He's a bit brash. He's a bit, uh, I don't know, act off the spur of the moment. Doesn't sort of think. It. So that's what's happened here. So... Peter had a reputation, I guess, for being impulsive uh, or brash. I don't that word already. Uh, even in this serious situation, he, he wasn't shy. He had guts, but not many smarts. So so there's like this army of people. And here's Peter. Wait, 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 wait. Watch out. <laughs> like, like, what, what do you think's going to happen? Like, you're going to win the war? You know, Peter had enough courage to take on the temple police and the whole crowd with one dagger. Either Peter's aim was lousy or or this guy ducked just in time. So I think his aim was lousy. (laughs) Instead of killing the servant, he's only cut off his ear. And the Greek word for sword and knife is the same. So it's important here to realise Peter wasn't necessarily carrying a sword. He was a fisherman. So what would he have? He'd have a knife to scale the fish. So it's just a little dagger. So here's Peter with his little dagger. Watch out, like I'm going to beat you all. And yeah, no. Anyway, Luke the physician in the, in the Gospel of Luke recorded that Jesus healed uh, Malchus's ear, saving Peter from the consequences of his actions. Then Jesus rebuked Peter for what he had done. And Jesus had told his disciples plenty of times that him dying was part of the plan. So don't work against what's happening In this moment, he didn't need Peter to stop something that he was willing to do. The cup the father gave him was the cross, the cup of judgment for the sins of humankind, which Jesus was about to drink. So don't get in the way of what's happening here. You know, God really calls believers to be crucified today. I'm not sure of many that are called to be nailed to a cross today, but figuratively, we're called to carry our cross. Mm-hmm. But sometimes God, and this is, this is a real sensitive subject and it's hard and I can't explain it and I don't have all the answers, but sometimes for whatever reason, God allows hard times and suffering to mould us, yes. to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. Mm-hmm. Say that to the person that's lost their wife. Say that to the It's a hard, sensitive, and I'm very aware And I can't explain it. And when I get to heaven, I'm probably going to ask that question. (laughs) Why do these things happen? But no matter what cup he gives us to drink, we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to live our lives in fear. Nor should we run away from whatever's going on. Jesus gave us the example to follow by accepting God's will, even if that meant being jailed and executed for your faith. And so the time may come for me as a pastor where I will be challenged. We're watching God's Not Dead and we're seeing it's happening in the movies, aren't we? You know, there may come a time when the government, it's being recorded and being, hello government, uh, will require pastors to submit their sermons and that they can reply and say, no, take this out, take this out. I'm going to have a choice to make then. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to be changing my sermons based on what some corporate admin person in a glass building in the city tells me. That might get me arrested now. Hello online. (laughs) But, But these are the kind of things that all of us will eventually face. Are we willing to stand up for our faith? Are we willing to not be shaken and moved by the things of this world? It's a big challenge and it's coming and it's here already. Many of us are already challenged. Are we standing up for God in the heat of the battle? Uh, Don't necessarily be a wild sword bearer, uh, but anyway. (laughs) Uh, Let's keep going to verse 12 and 14. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Anna's... Uh, it's not actually Anna's, but I read it because of Anna's restaurant. It'd be Anna's or something like that. Uh, first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year. Now, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So, here we go. Let the games begin. This is where it starts, where Jesus is taken into custody. And with no doubt about whom they were arresting, the Jewish police seized Jesus, tied him up, and the first stop was not Anna's restaurant, but Anas' house, Anasa's house. Uh, They were the high priest until Pilate replaced them. Uh, But their influence continues. So it's like the kind of role where you're in this role, someone replaces you, but you're still honored. It's kind of like the American president. So the American president gets voted out, they're still called Mr. President and given that honor. and give him the cavalcades and the security and the whatever. So it's like that. Um, so uh, several of his sons and son-in-law Caiaphas, the current high priest, uh, succeeded him. And, and according to Jewish law, the high priest was appointed for life. However, under Roman rule, the, the, um, the governors deposed and appointed high priests at will. Uh, so even though Anas didn't officially hold the office, the people still held this person in that regard, so Anas may have requested the first audience with Jesus. It's not recorded in the Bible, but that's just where he goes first. Uh, he was probably still mad that Jesus had cleansed the temple. Temple, remember when he did that? When he cleansed the temple of merchants who sold animals for sacrifices, and you know Jesus went in and turned up the tables, and you know this is a house of worship. Um, so Anas probably had a good little racket going on with the temple merchants. Uh, So he got rent from the merchants and set their prices. He may have taken a percentage of the profits as well, probably did. And so he's maybe a little bit annoyed and ticked off at this Jesus that comes in and turns the tables and takes away my profits. So to be sure um, that we remember Caiaphas, John adds a footnote that he was the one who was willing to sacrifice one man, and and that was Jesus, to keep the peace with the Romans. So this is all unfolding now. This is all happening. As I said, let the games begin. Let's keep going. 15 and 16 says this. Simon Peter followed Jesus, so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside, then the other disciples who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. So follow the leader. They're following Jesus at the moment as to where he's getting taken and what's going on. Um, I guess like a good writer or like a like a movie director, John switches scenes very quickly there in his writing as to what's going on, uh, and he keeps us in suspense. So he cuts away from inside the house uh, um, to the courtyard surrounding the house. And there Peter and another disciple are trying to find out what was happening to their leader. So it's like a cutscene. So Jesus is going, what's going on outside? Let's see what's happening. Uh, So many Bible students believe the second man was John. It doesn't say that, but it just says another disciple. Uh, But they believe it's John. And others think he could have potentially been Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea who helped bury Jesus since it wasn't likely that fisherman John would know the high priest. But you just don't know. It doesn't say. So these other two possibilities, um, you know, it's neither here nor there. But since the yard was walled and had a guarded entrance, they couldn't just walk in. So because the other disciple knew the high priest, that was the ticket for them to get inside to see what's going on. And the unnamed disciple gained entrance because he knew the high priest. And then he got permission for Peter to come in. But while Peter uh, is outside... Let's read this, verses 17 to 18. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? Here we go, it's unfolding. He says, I am not. So all of a sudden, big brave Peter with his little dagger taking on the armies of the universe, all of a sudden denies knowing Christ and steps back as a coward into the shadows. Interesting. So the girl who gave permission for Peter to enter the courtyard wanted to know if he was one of Jesus' disciples and he denies and says I am not. Verse 18 continues on and says now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So he's literally lying by the fire and pun intended. So Peter says no, I don't know. This Christ, I don't know what you're talking about. It's hard to believe this was the same man, isn't it? That just moments earlier was taking on the armies with a dagger and now becomes this. Peter had turned into a coward who was afraid to be known as one of Jesus' disciples and he stood there with his enemies warming himself at the fire. Here's the challenge for us, I believe, out of the word today. The storms are coming the challenges are coming the the persecution is coming are we gonna just stand by the fire with the complacency of the world and warm ourselves and be comfortable and deny our faith like Peter or are we gonna stand in those challenging times and believe that God has given us boldness to speak the name of Jesus in every circumstance and in every situation Are we going to get comfortable by the fire or are we going to stand and trust God through the heat that's going to come at us? I think that's the challenge for us today because in this world it's easy to hide and it's easy to be complacent about our faith and and perhaps not even mention it and let's just be politically correct and not offend anybody and so I won't say anything in this situation Uh, or are we going to stand and make a stand for Jesus you know, we have one life and we've really got to make it count, don't we? We only have one opportunity. We don't come back as, as grasshoppers or I don't know, some people believe that you come back as other people or other things. No, we get one chance of life and the opportunity that we have is to make this life count. Let's finish with a video. Today's a very special day, the video says, because you're still alive. At least I hope you are, because I've been preaching for a little while. And you know, Are you still stirring? Are you got breath in your lungs? And what that means is you have one more day to make this life count. One more day to change the trajectory of your life. One more day, and the video didn't say this, but I'm equating this to the word we've read today. One more day to stop warming ourselves by the comfort of the fire. Although that's nice in the temperature we're in, right? (laughs) But to actually make a choice to stand out and not blend in. You have a choice. One more day to stop chasing empty promises and focus on the only things that matter. Loving God and loving others. And we can't do that hiding in our cozy position next to the fire where we just blend in and we don't want to offend anybody and we have to make a choice to stand out. The light of Christ is in you, if you've accepted him. Let it shine, let it shine. Such a good song, I remember from this little light of mine. Do you know it? <laughs> I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. It. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. shine. Very good. Well, let's see. No, we'll be here all day, we'll be here all day. Gotta have coffee. But here's the thing Are you gonna let your light shine? Or are you gonna get cozy by the fire, blend in, go with the flow? Let's not step on toes. You know, we're not here to offend people, but we are here because we are carriers of the truth. And we can present the truth in a loving way that doesn't offend. Now, if, if it offends people, that's their choice. But you're carriers of truth. Don't put your light out under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel. No. <laughs> Don't do that. Especially in the world like it is today. The world is desperate for truth. Yes. The world is desperate and hungry to know the truth. And you know what? The minority sprouting the falsities of the world right now, man, they're loud. So we need to speak up and we need to be loud. Can I pray for you this morning? Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. If you're in this place and you haven't got the light of Christ in you, well, let's deal with that first. It's so important that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. I've already shared it today. He died even when you were in sin, even when you rejected him or didn't know him. He died for you. And so you have the opportunity today to surrender your life to Christ. So if that's you and you want to make a change in your life, a change that will affect not just your life now, but eternity can I encourage you to just lift up your hand right now so I can include you in a prayer. We're going to pray as a church, but I want to know who we're praying for. So you put your hand up and say, yes, Pastor Jeremy. I want to say yes to Jesus today. If you're online and you want to accept Jesus into your heart, you can respond in your living room, wherever you are. And and God will see your response. So let's pray together today. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you came. As a man here on earth, As a man here on earth and suffered on my behalf. You gave your life for me. You conquered sin and death for me. Sin and death. So that I could be free. So that I could be free. And so Lord, I confess with my mouth. So Lord I confess with my you mouth. You are my Lord. Are and I live, Lord. I live for you. I believe you were raised from the dead for me. Believe And so I'm going to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.